From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Reporting on Religion. Host Leif Anderson, President of the NAE, talks with Adele Banks, Production Editor and National Reporter for Religion News Service. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, President of NAE, here today with Adele Banks. Adele joined the Religion News Service staff in 1995 after serving six years as the religion reporter at the Orlando Sentinel. And before the Orlando Sentinel, she worked for two newspapers in upstate New York and one in her home state of Rhode Island. Adele has won several awards for excellence in religion reporting, including the 2014 Wilbur Award from the Religion Communicators Council for a project that she spearheaded marking the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. She's also been honored by the Religion Newswriters Association and the Associated Church Press. And I've known Adele for years and years. She's interviewed me several times on a variety of topics. Uh, a veteran reporter, she is well known and highly respected among her colleagues. So thanks for joining us, Adele. We're really pleased to have you join us. Thanks for having me, Leith. I appreciate it. Religion plays a significant role in public life, and that seems to be pretty well recognized. But look no further than election season media coverage. There's a constant conversation about people of faith and, and who they vote for. But not only that, faith and spirituality are a powerful motivation or an undercurrent in many stories of our day. So good religion reporting helps us understand these trends and motivations. So Adele, uh, let's just start with you. How did you get into this business and this profession of religion reporting? My whole uh, journalism career, which began right when I finished college, um, has um, had a touch of religion, if not a focus on religion throughout it. I covered religion at every job I've had since I left Mount Holyoke College. And my first job was at a paper in Binghamton, New York. And I cover the traditional stuff reporters cover when they start their careers, such as different cities and towns and school boards. But I also covered some about religion. Um, I remember writing about clergy couples. And um, I also wrote about um, church outreach to singles and stories about you know, various major religious holidays. And when I moved on to my next job farther up in upstate New York, I covered towns and schools again and business stories too. But then I expressed an interest in the religion beat because I had enjoyed covering that topic previously and I'm generally fascinated with the topic. And I got the religion beat. And um, I covered things like the local Catholic bishop and, and Jews and other faith groups as well. Then I went to my home state of Rhode Island. And at that newspaper, the Providence Journal, my uh, colleague, who covered religion had been doing it for a long time and did it for a long time after I left there. And so I knew if I wanted to continue on the religion beat, I'd have to do it somewhere else. And I ended up becoming the religion reporter at the Orlando Sentinel for six years before I moved to religion news service. So it has sort of been my professional lifeblood for a long time. There's a part of me that wants to say, you must know more religious people and know more about religion than just about anybody in America, but let's just keep talking about you. and. And other reporters, other reporters on religion, how does your own faith impact how you report on issues um, of faith or religion? Um, I think of my role as a church member that it has made me more sensitive to the various trends and issues related to clergy and <laughs> congregations in particular, um, as well as to the average person in the pew. 
Um, but I also think that reporting on this topic is not something that has to be done by a person of faith. There have been very good reporters who um, had no faith at all who have covered this beat very, very well. Um, and I have sometimes found that just being in a place of faith, not necessarily my own, can trigger story ideas and um, open up my eyes to things that are going on or things that are coming up. Um, for instance, I um, sing in a local chorale, and that chorale happens to happen to have rehearsed in a Catholic church at one time. And just going by the bulletin board of the church, I got story ideas. So I think that um, you can be a person of faith, or you, but you don't have to be. But it helps to be in places where you can see where the stories are. So you have an angle or maybe an altitude that is kind of different from everybody else. Most of us live in our small worlds of uh, our church, our parish, people who are like us. And then there are the outsiders, and we maybe don't even know them personally. So from your view, from this high altitude as well as close to the ground, how is America's religious landscape changing? You've been doing this for a long time. and and how does that impact the coverage of news of religion? Um, I think that America's religious landscape is sort of widening at, in some ways, and then it's also narrowing in others, which actually makes it quite a challenge for religion reporters. Uh, when I was first on the beat, um, covering Christians was basically what you did. Maybe you covered some Jews every once in a while, but that was usually about it. Um, then it was Christians and Jews and Muslims, then it was Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, and then you thought you had it covered. Um, but now it's so much broader as far as people's attention to the various groups that are out there. And it's really from atheists to Zoroastrians, and there's just a growing number of people also who say that they're quote-unquote spiritual but not religious. And so that's sort of the broadening part of it. The narrowing is that there are instances where um, churches that have been covered for years have far fewer people in the pews. That's not the case for some megachurches, of course, but it's certainly the case for many um, of the more historic churches. And so there's that challenge in and of itself that's a story about some of the decline that has occurred on the religious scene. Um, so I feel like there is also a challenge to not write solely about religion, but write about religion and ethics. And those two have been combined for years in, in stories by religion reporters, but I think it's getting more and more important to do that because some people are interested in religion, some people are interested in ethics, and some people are interested in both. Um, so all of that affects how you deal with coverage, and I think that over the course of my career, there's been more of an emphasis to move from just writing about the institutional religion uh, world to um, writing about the personal people of faith, people searching, people figuring out their identity as it relates to religion or does not. Well, let me ask you to sort of critique your, your profession and uh, your colleagues. Uh, maybe that's sort of a risky thing to do. But just overall, how is religion really represented well in the news media? What's going very well in communicating to readers and viewers what's happening? And then what are the areas where that's not happening, or at least where there could be improvement in news coverage of religion? I think that um, there has been a shift over the years from making religion just in one part of a publication, often it was in the B section or the metro section of a newspaper, 
to a discovery by reporters, both religion reporters and others, and editors that there are stories that belong in all different parts of a newspaper or a, another publication. So if it's, it could be what the political candidates are saying about religion or the way school districts are accommodating um, religious holidays um, to covering the, the, new, um, the new woman who's going to be the um, fencer at the uh, next Olympics who's going to have a hijab, who's going to be the first Muslim American woman to do that. Um, so there are ways that religion is being covered now that uh, I think are fascinating and help people realize how much it fits into so many parts of our, our, um, our world. Um, I like to say that the religion beat is religion and fill in the blank. Religion and the environment, religion and sports, religion and food, religion and music, you know, all those different things cover, come together. And so um, I think that there is an improvement in understanding that, that, that religion fits into lots of different places in the publications. Um, I think that there are times that um, people have not done the right thing when it comes to covering religion. They have left out groups entirely um, who may fit into a particular faith group and and only maybe talk to talking heads and don't talk to average people. And I think that's an important part of, of uh, reporting is to get down to the average person. Um, and then there are times when people don't get it as far as some of the specifics of faith. And, and that's something that a person who has the beat is better at. Um, for instance, there was an instance just uh, in the past couple of weeks where a prominent newspaper wrote about uh, people observing Ash Wednesday. And instead of saying that people had ashes on their forehead, they said that they had uh, coals. And that publication ended up having to have a correction. So there's definitely a need to check facts and make sure that you know what you're writing about when you're dealing with, with this issue. It certainly makes it a challenging profession because that runs both ways. So if there's an article about sports and religion, the sports writer might not know much about religion, but the religion writer might not know much about sports. So you've got to, got to be an expert in, in all different areas. But let me tell you an experience of mine, and I don't know if it's representative or not. I've traveled a lot around the world, and one in English-speaking countries, so Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, when I watch the news or when I pick up a newspaper, I have my eye open for religion news in those countries. And it's hard for me to find. At least that's been my experience. And I don't much think about it when I'm in the United States. When I come back to the United States and I pick up local and national newspapers, I find front page stories about religion that seem to be absent in other countries. So the United States seems different to me in the prominence that's given to the coverage of religion. Is that correct? And if so, why is that? Well, I'm not an expert on religion journalism outside of this country, but I do know from having attended meetings of the Religion News Writers Association that there are people who attend from other countries. There's definitely an interest out there uh, in religion. Um, there, I remember that some of the big award winners at those various conferences at the Religion News Writers Association have been from Canada, from you know different newspapers like the Ottawa Citizen. Um, but now that it is probably the case that there may be fewer reporters in Canada, but and overall the place where there are the most religion reporters um, is the U.S. and the Vatican. Uh, I do think that there's efforts, uh, including by the foundation of the Religion News Writers Association, to help uh, 
reporters in other countries learn more about religion reporting. So I, perhaps that will improve as days go by. Um, but Religion News Service has coverage from Europe and other places across the world, in Africa. And so there are people writing about this topic uh, all over the world, maybe not as prominently, um, but it is happening. Well, the, I take comfort in the fact that it's a big deal in the United States, and, and for that I'm, I'm grateful. So what are some of the challenges that you face as a reporter on religion? And especially I'm interested in particular challenges when your reporting relates to evangelicalism. Um, well, the biggest challenge is, is time and space. There just is not enough uh, time to do all the great stories that are out there, let alone answer all the emails that people send me with uh, great ideas. Um, and when you do sort of focus in on a story, there's also the nuances of the topic when you have such a limited amount of time to get to the people you want to for a story or to include all of them in what you're writing. Um, an example would be if I write about Baptists, for example. There are Southern Baptists who are more conservative generally and American Baptists who are more progressive. But there's not necessarily a Baptist stance, so you don't really want to write a story just saying Baptists say because that could be only a certain sector of them. And then you have to be careful about what kind of Baptist you're talking about. So when I interview people and I ask them what their denomination is and they tell me that they're Baptists, I say, well, what kind of Baptists are you? And then if they tell me that they're national Baptists, if I'm speaking often to an African-American Baptist, then I say, well, what kind is that? Because there's National Baptist Convention USA and National Baptist Convention of America. And these are all very sort of picky things that are very important to the people you're talking about. And it's important for readers to understand that um, there's all these different categories of people. Um, when it comes to the evangelicals, um, that we have the same challenge because there are some that are more progressive and some that are more conservative. And it's also hard to cover them when some of them don't want to be called evangelicals. Uh, we had a story about that just recently, and I wrote about it back when uh, George W. Bush was in office, that there's always been this question of who are evangelicals? Is this a person even evangelical or is this person not an evangelical? Um, and so it's a real challenge for reporters when you call up someone and ask them, how to describe themselves and they don't want to use the word evangelical or you have to sort of ask like five different questions to figure out whether it makes sense to call them that. So just from the get-go, that can be a, be a challenge. A lot of complexity. I find even though, you know, I'm the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't find out about some megachurch or some best-selling book or some famous person who's an evangelical that I've never heard of and know nothing about because there's such variety and such diversity. I'm interested in what are the trends that are happening and whether or not it's sort of the same way it's always been, I mean, at least in recent generations. Time Magazine, in a recent issue, commemorated the 50th anniversary of a cover story that they did. The cover was on the 6th of April in 1966. And the cover said, Is God Dead? And as I read the article in the current issue of Time Magazine, it said that that was the first cover they ever did that was all print. That up until then, in all times history, they'd always had graphics or pictures. And they were talking about the God is Dead controversy. And, and I thought, well, so what's changed? Or, or what's the trend for the future in terms of reporting religion in, in this country? 
I think that there's an instance of, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And then there's also the option to do different things. Um, for instance, the whole issue of religion and politics, obviously, that's been a topic for a very long time and continues to be. So that's something that continues. And uh, But then there are other uh, stories, like the one I mentioned about the um, Muslim censor, you know, where people are starting to realize, oh my gosh, there are people who aren't Christian who are doing these interesting things and who maybe have to do things uh, where they have to deal with accommodation, like um, six in the military wanting to wear their turbans. Those are newer stories and newer things to focus on um, that I think are, um, you know, going to keep religion reporters busy. Um, so I really think it's a, a both and that there are things that we've covered for years that we will continue to cover. But I think um, there's a challenge to try to broaden who we cover, what we cover. Um, one example of how things sort of change and stay the same is that I remember covering Promise Keepers on the National Mall um, many years ago. And now, like almost two decades later, there's another plan for a big gathering, I believe, on, of religious people on the mall in the middle of the summer. So in some ways, things stay and just take new shape with the next generation. The, the broadening, that's, um, to me that's exciting, but to other people that can be threatening because they discover that there are views that aren't their views that uh, are really, really out there. So imagine that you're giving a seminar to um, rookie religion reporters or maybe just uh, general news reporters and you're telling them from your experience how to interact with religion in their stories. What, what advice would you give them, and, and what pitfalls should they avoid? Um, I would suggest that if they can, and I realize everyone's time is limited, that they try to meet with people and not only just deal with folks on the phone. Um, if they're a local reporter, you know, there's the chance to maybe um, meet people for coffee and get to know them and maybe meet with a local pastor or imam or rabbi and, or other religious leaders and just take, you know, half an hour to get to know each other a little bit find out what that person thinks are some of the things that are, that are missing in the media coverage. And when you reach out to people that way, they sort of, you each realize you're human beings just like everyone else, and that can build a good relationship and maybe help you get better stories later on. So I think that's part of it is reaching out to people and, um, and also making sure you find experts uh, to be sure that even if you talk to local people about something that maybe you might call a scholar to say is what's happening in my community happening elsewhere, and you may end up with a stronger story with different different voices. Um, and then one of the most important things for reporters, new or old, is to ask people if there's something they didn't ask them when they finish what are their questions so that they can be sure that they haven't missed something important. You know, um, I, I, that makes me want to say to you, uh, so what didn't I ask? But I'll, I'll hold off. Maybe I'll ask you that a little bit later and, and go to the other well, side. One other thing, excuse me, one other yeah. thing I should add, if that's okay, is that I think there's a tendency when you're on deadline to call up, you know, whoever the head of, the, of an organization is and just have that perspective. But often some of the best stories are from the so-called lay people, the people in the pews. And when there is time, it's always good to, even if you start with somebody who's the top official or the head of an organization, to say, well, who should I talk to who's really doing things uh, on the ground? And I think that's another thing that new and older reporters on this beat um, should be sure to do. All right, let me switch the question. So that was, you know, what do reporters need to know and do? What about the local pastor or the religious leader, never been interviewed by the press, never really talked face-to-face -face with a reporter in the past, 
and what advice do you have for that person? Because w when I talk to pastors and religious leaders who don't have experience with the press, some of them are really scared, and some of them aren't scared at all. Actually, th that worries me a little bit more, the ones that, are, that, that aren't scared, because um, maybe they don't know what they're doing. What, what should they do? What makes for a good interviewee? Well, the first thing is that they shouldn't hang up or be totally scared when they hear a reporter wants to talk to them because it's an opportunity. And like I just said about the need to have different voices, if someone's being called by a reporter for the first time, it's it's a good thing. It's a chance to have a different voice than has been out there before. Um, just like anything else, you know, you could look up the reporter beforehand, you know, see what kind of stories they've written before and find ways to relate to them in that way. That might make you more comfortable because you'll know what kinds of things they've written about before. Um, you can, if the reporter contacts you by email and says, hey, I'd like to have an interview with you this afternoon, well, you could say to the reporter, could you give me some idea of what you're, what you want to talk about? I don't think it's good for the reporter to necessarily say, well, I'm going to ask you these 10 questions and you answer them. Um, I prefer a give and take where there is some spontaneity. That usually is, works for a better a better story. Um, but then once you get on the phone or in person with a person, you should not give super long answers because those will never appear in print. It's good to be succinct. It's also good, though, on the other hand, to give some personal examples of tell an anecdote or two or an example of perhaps a congregant or someone who's done something interesting um, so that the reporter has a better feel of what you're talking about, has some examples they might be able to use in the story, and also may be able to get back to you another time about, oh, well, tell me again about that member. Maybe I'll want to do a separate story about, about that person. And then the other thing that's important is that when you're finished with the conversation, to be sure that you have that reporter's contact information so that if you think of something later, that you might have wished you could add, you can send it to them. Now, it may be too late, but even if it is, you've established a connection, and then you have that information to reach them at a future date when there maybe is another development on what you were talking about. Yeah, over the years, uh, there was one particular columnist that I built a relationship with, and uh, we talk frequently, and often his columns, his stories, they weren't about me. They were about ideas that I gave him, and we were really helpful to each other. So I want to ask you about the religious leader, the pastor, who would like to get into the press. How do you go about doing that? To personalize it again, I contacted several years ago as a pastor the editorial board of a major metropolitan newspaper and asked if our pastoral staff could come and meet with them. And we ended up actually spending probably an hour and a half together. At the end, I said, how many times have you done this? And the editor of the paper said, um, I've been here 30 years, and this is the first time I've ever been asked. And I, I was just amazed that there's often criticism that the press doesn't cover people, but then there's no initiative to build a relationship. So what should they do? How should they go about it when they're not being asked, when they're not getting an email from you or somebody else? That's a really interesting question. I love that example. That is such a, a great idea. Um, um, I think that it would be good if more people did that. Um, just like I think that um, you know, reporters can invite clergy people or other religious leaders to coffee or whatever, it can go the other way. And I think that that's a, a good idea, a way for um, a minister or others to get to know the journalists in their area. Um, they can get in touch with them, maybe an appoint, make an appointment to sit down with them, and 
also offer not just to reporters but to editors the opportunity to either be the subject of a story or maybe to write a commentary. I mean, if you're meeting with the editorial board, you know, there might be an option for an op-ed sometime uh, by the pastor of a church on a particular issue. Um, so I think it's really important for each of these groups to realize that it doesn't have to be antagonistic, but instead there can be a way to um, connect. Now, once the connection has started, it's important for the person wanting to be covered to know the best way to reach the reporter. Some reporters operate solely on email, some like a phone call, some like a text, some prefer social media. So it's always good to know the best way. And then there is the point of not becoming a pest. Um, if someone sends a press release and then like sends it five more times or wants to call five times to say, are you sure you got it? That means you probably aren't going to get covered. So you have to have a sort of a balance. I mean, I'll say that there are times that someone has sent me something and has followed up and I've appreciated that and it's helped me get something done and been aware of something. Um, but then there are other times that someone asks too many times, it's just not very helpful. The, the challenge for the pastor or the church leader to get a story covered that's, I don't know, kind of ordinary, maybe the construction of a new building or a guest speaker. Uh, but what about those situations where the uh, unexperienced, the inexperienced person suddenly is being uh, pursued by a reporter over a scandal or something really controversial? How should they, how should they handle something like that, and especially if they're not experienced doing it? Yeah, I would again say please don't ignore reporters under those circumstances because I think one of the least pleasant things to have to do is say such and such couldn't be reached for comment in, in your story because that doesn't help the reader at all. It doesn't tell the reader where this person stands or why this happened or what they think of this controversial issue. Um, so, And then I also would say that even if initially there's been a scandal and someone just wants to put out a brief statement, I think later on when things have uh, died down a little bit, the reporter will still likely be open to an interview maybe a week or two later to, to get your point of view out there. So again, I think that the lines of communication need to stay open. And in fact, if you've already had the lines of communication open earlier, that might make it easier when there is a, a, difficult, a difficult subject to deal with. Well, a good example of the follow-up, uh, I mean, that's really good advice, in the movie Spotlight, the Boston Globe, uh, at the end of the movie, they say that there were 600 stories on that controversy that were eventually published by, by the Boston Globe. So, you know, it's, it's not just uh, an initial one. So it, it, let's suppose that uh, you're, you could answer a question that I don't like people asking me, and that is, what's the future? What, what are some of the top topics or stories, particularly in the evangelical community, that, that you might anticipate for the future in, in coming years? Um, I think a lot of the stories about evangelicals relate to the topics that are in the in the limelight right now. Um, things like, of course, politics, you know, the way that the election shakes out. You know, people are talking about the role of evangelicals before the election, and certainly after there will still be stories to be done on that. And I think it will be interesting to see um, especially given this debate about how they're defined, um, you know, where they stand after whoever gets into the White House next is there. Um, I think that the issue of immigration continues to be a big topic and evangelicals have played a role in that on various sides. And I think the issue with refugees and evangelicals is going to also be a continuing, uh, a continuing story. And uh, another would be race relations. Um, 
I know the Southern Baptist Convention, which I've covered for many years, has drawn attention to that issue and apparently is also going to be doing that again. And um, so I think those are some of the, the big issues, the big social issues, the big things that people are talking about in general are also the stories that relate to evangelical. Your particular area of expertise, uh, one of the areas that you've done research and writing on, is the faith of African Americans. So who are the leaders, what are the trends among African American Christians that, that you're tracking now? I'm very interested in um, the way the Black Lives Matter uh, movement has um, challenged um, black churches. Um, definitely some of the veteran leaders of black churches have, have said that they're sort of grappling with that and, and in some ways playing catch-up um, to a group of people who are not always um, comfortable within the four walls of the church. Um, so I'm very interested in seeing how that continues to take shape, how that changes uh, black churches and, and what their role will be in communities in the future. Um, I also know that the um, African Methodist Episcopal Church is celebrating its 200th anniversary this year and so I'm looking forward to finding out more about it and its um, history and reporting on, on both how its history has shaped it and, and what it's ahead for it in the future. My last question I can't resist. Is there anything else I should have asked you or that you would like to say? <laughs> I appreciate your listening, I should say, first of all. Um, I think that um, people may have a particular view of what religion reporting is, and they may think of it as just what they see in their local newspaper, and it's really, really vast. It may be coverage in the Washington Post or the New York Times, which have covered religion well for many, many years. It may be... Um, publications that are more focused on religion, such as Christianity Today, and maybe outlets like um, Religion Ethics Newsweekly or On Being. There are just so many different ways, religion dispatches and crux. There are so many different ways to see how religion is covered. And I think it's important for people to not just sort of be pigeonholed into one place where they think they can get their news about religion. So I hope that people will check out Religion News Services. Uh, newish website and also um, see the way that we have uh, covered religion as well as a variety of other people. So I just want it to be clear that it is a vast, just like the religious landscape is vast, uh, religion reporting coverage is also vast. Our guest today on today's conversation has been Adele Banks, production editor and national reporter for Religion News Service. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Adele. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NA Evangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net. <laughs>